0: On with the episode vibrant. vibrant 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 music teaching proven and practical tips strategies and ideas for music teachers this is the vibrant music teaching podcast i'm nicola canton and in this episode we're talking about how we teach scales you can find the article that goes along with this show at vibrantmusicteachingcom slash 175 or if you're not a member yet colorfulkeys.ie slash 175. It is scale teaching month here on the podcast and I'm really curious how you got on with last week's show. What did you think? Do you think I'm being pedantic by nitpicking at which scale we start with first or do you think it's a relevant point? And did anything I said make you Reconsider where you start with your scales, or maybe further entrench you into the opinion you had already. I would love to hear how you got on and whether it prompted any thoughts for you. This week on the show, we're talking about how we actually teach the scales. So, what camp do you lie in at the moment? I think there are three major ways that people go about this, maybe two main ones and one sub one. So, we have notation, teaching by rote and by writing. Like I said, the writing one is kind of a sub-option of the notation, but I think maybe some teachers approach it specifically from that standpoint. So those are the three categories we're going to look at. So which camp do you sit in at the moment? How do you teach scales and how did you learn them? And was it different? I think long-term listeners of this show might be tired of me saying this, that something was how I learned it was one way and then I learned about a whole new world, right? I often talk like this and that is how I feel. I mean, that's the truth. I didn't know anything about improv and then suddenly I did and it was amazing and that came through my teaching rather than through my studies, which I think is a shame. However, scales are one thing. The way that I teach them are one thing that I actually do pretty much the way I was taught. So there you go. You've caught me out or I've caught myself out. I still stick to the way I was taught, but it's not that I haven't explored other options. And I do think it's important for us to do that. So I still teach scales by rote. Or by memory, you might say. I know for some, rote is still a dirty word, although I think we've turned the tide on that for the most part. We mean teaching by demonstration and by pattern, rather than from notation when we say rote. So for some, it has that connotation, but I think we've mostly moved on. Now, I teach scales primarily by rote, and that is also how I learned them. The teacher showed it to me or told me how it went and then I tried to do it. I think that's basically what happened. I do think we could take road teaching scales a little bit further and I definitely have tried to do that with my students by expanding the different approaches you can take. So it can be just that you demonstrate a scale and your student does it alongside you at the same time. Or directly after you, maybe you split it up into pieces with certain fingerings, that kind of thing. But you could also focus on different things in rote teaching. One of the benefits of teaching scales by rote is that your student can focus on their technique, the theory behind the scales possibly, and the creativity that we can expand scale, uh, take out of scales and expand upon. A little bit more when we don't have notation to focus on in front of us. So I do think that's part of the benefit. We can also focus more on the look of the scales and the sound of them. So when you're teaching by rote do you ever talk to students about the shape the scales make? One example of this and often comes up for me is that I'll often call the E major scales the friendly ones and I say they're friendly because once you do them contrary motion they're all symmetrical. So E major, E flat major and C minor are all symmetrical, right? Which is pretty cool. By that I mean C uh, harmonic minor, contrary motion, which is the most common. Uh, country motion, of course, for the minors. But I think that's interesting. And I do think it helps it to stick for my students by describing that shape. And I think I should do that more. So describing the way some scales go up and then down, some are lopsided, some are this shape, some are that shape, I think could be really helpful for students to give them their own little personalities and help them stand out in their minds, right? The E major being friendly thing often makes me think of when I was learning my times tables in school, speaking of the rote being a dirty word, right? Two by two is four. That's what often people think of when we mention the word rote. It's just like chanting times tables. Anyway, when we did our times tables in school, one of my teachers, when she was practicing these with us, she would say, it's my favorite one if we forgot seven by eight. Or eight by seven, whichever way, because there that's fifty-six, right? So it goes five, six, seven, eight, and that's kind of fun. So she would call that her favorite one, and that always comes into my mind when I talk about E major being my favorite with my students. So all these years later, I mean, right away that was the one I would never forget after she said that a couple of times. So I do think these little things to bring out the personality in something that seems kind of like just a rule and kind of arbitrary and like there are so many different ones can be really really useful can't it the other thing you can do when you're teaching by rote is to clump the notes together what i mean by this is where you split the scale up into distinct shapes so for example if we take g major it can be just one series of eight finger numbers or it can be one two three And then move your hand rather than doing a thumb across, right? Just move your hand and then one, two, three, four, five is a separate bit. I think this can be really helpful when students, when it sinks in for students. I found initially, and maybe this is me not explaining it correctly or needing to refine my teaching on this, but I find more confusing initially actually for students so I tend to use this for students that are further along they've got quite a few scales under the belt and then they're starting to mix up a couple of them so they've got the general gist of scales and they've got several of the fingering patterns pretty solid but they're mixing up this one with that one or things like that then I will do this type of practice and I'll also get them to practice them as clumps or clusters so, playing the one, two, three together as if it's a chord, and then the one, two, three, four, five together as if that's a chord. Yes, it sounds like a mess, right? But students kind of love that. It's a bit of a giggle and just reinforce that this is one part and that's the next part. Of course, we want them to play it as a fluid scale. I'm not saying they will play it like that for very long, but it's just an in lesson exercise that you can do, and many of you will have done it. My favorite way to work on scales in terms of rote teaching and initially introducing scales to students is to have them work it out themselves by ear. What I tell them to do is to hop with just one finger. Most will instinctively go with finger two, pointer. So they hop with that finger along the, along the keys and try to figure out where the notes go. And once they've done a couple like this, they get what I'm talking about. So let's say they already know C major. I say, okay, will you try and figure out G major and see if any of the notes sound like they need to change or sound a bit off. And you don't necessarily need to do it with one finger for G major, although for others, you might want them to do that so that you can sort out the fingering with them in a separate step. So I have them work it out by ear, just like, Is this one right? Is this one wrong? Really good for their ear training and it also helps them to remember it better I believe because they work it out themselves. I'm not telling them G major has an F sharp like that's not very interesting but if you feel it, if you experience it, that's a different thing as we know. So getting them to find the sharps or flats or different keys they need and then helping them with the fingering after that. Especially for older students, I might even have them try and figure out what fingering makes sense. I love to do that because it, it is logical and sometimes we can divorce it from that so much that students think that they are that old style of road, right? That they have to remember one or whatever pattern. Three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, or whatever. Whereas actually there's a reason we're using the fingering we're using. Other fingerings don't make sense good example of this is B major. I don't tell them right away what's going to happen or if they meet F first, whichever. I don't tell them right away what they need to change or what they need to do with that. I have them try it. So I get them to do the right, if it's B major, I get them to do the right hand first. So that one goes well. And then I say, okay, now I asked you not to do the left hand first. I asked you specifically to do the right first. We're going to look at the left now. Something's gonna need to change, but I want you to try it first, and then I have them try it, and some of them muddle through and put their thumb up on f sharp and it's a bit awkward. Some barely notice, and some look at me like i'm I've lost my marbles a little bit, and then I help them figure it out and again, that's the experience of okay, there's a reason that this makes sense. And for those who happen to be more maths minded, I do highlight to them that we're just splitting up eight a different way. Instead of it being three and five, we've got a four and four now. And I think that can be another little highlight to point out to them again, little thing to make that scale stand out in their mind. The final thing I wanted to mention on rote teaching of scales is to use scale reminder videos for those students who are struggling. I know some teachers will use a book or, written notation which we'll get to in a second but if some teachers will use that just because they're afraid the student won't remember it at home first of all I found that most students of mine do remember their scales just fine there's the odd one that they forget for one week and then you go over it again and it sinks in okay but another option is to send reminder videos to them so I do this by just attaching them into NARA to their assignment which is the practice app I use, you could just send the link to their parents, if you like, to a video which shows the scale. Now, you can tell them to go look it up themselves on YouTube, but they might come across some weird fingerings and things. You can't, be, you can't rely on the quality. So if you happen to agree with all the fingerings I use and things, you can use my scale videos. They're not the fanciest videos I have. My, my tech setup is actually better these days, but I recorded these quite a while back now. They still work though, and my students still use them, so I'm happy with them. They're on the Colorful Keys YouTube channel. If you search for major scale reminder videos or harmonic minor scale reminder videos, you should find the playlist. You can also find it in the article that goes along with this episode. All right, so I had the most to say about rote teaching of scales because that's what I primarily do. However, there are two other methods we mentioned and maybe these are your chosen methods. So one other way to teach scales is to have students write them out themselves. So this could be in combination with either of the other methods, which is why I kind of called it a sub-method. Your student could be learning it by rote, demonstration, or by ear and then writing it out to help them remember it. Or they could be reading it first and then rewriting it themselves so they have their own copy. For this, either way, I like to use um, a very simple sheet from VMT for this. It's called the Blank Scales Worksheet. Very simple title. Again, you'll find that link in the accompanying article. But this sheet is just space for a right hand with a treble stave, and then a blank keyboard below that, space for the left hand with a bass and then a blank keyboard below that. So they are writing it on the staff with the finger numbers above below and then writing the finger numbers on the piano. So I like them to have both as a reference and also to have written both so that they connect the two things up, right? And then finally you might be teaching piano scales from notation. So This is where I'm a little bit biased, and this is based on my background and how I got on with scales, which I mostly found not easy to learn. I mean, I didn't learn them super quickly, but they were never a major struggle for me. They weren't the most fun thing in the world, and sure, I got some of them muddled up, but for the most part, I learned them fine. So, again, that's my bias shining through. It happened to suit me to learn them by rote, probably, but you can also learn them from a book. And I didn't get a scale book at all until I was studying for my grade eight exam, which if you're not familiar with our kind of exam system, grade eight is the last level before you get two certificates and diplomas and things. So I was studying for my grade eight and that's when my teacher said, oh, you know, it might be useful to have a book in case you need to check a fingering at home. So I only had the book then. And I only had it as a reference. And that's how I've always used it with my students as well. When we need to look something up, we check the book, we notice how it's done, and then we close the book and put it back. It's very much a reference. It's never something I put up and then read from. That's just not how I treat scales. Because to me, I want them to be patterns that are so baked into my feeling at the keyboard and that I can use for improvisation and composing and all sorts of other creative acts. So for me, I prefer them to be almost detached from what they are on the staff. And then if I do a theory exam or something or I have to write one down, I'm thinking it on the piano and then writing it down. I'm not necessarily thinking it on the staff first versus other things which I would think on the staff first. So again, that's probably personal preference. But that is another method of teaching. So if you think teaching scales from a book is the only way to do it or the best way to do it for some specific reason, I would love to hear from you. Do leave a comment on the article that goes along with this episode because I'm really curious about your thoughts on that. Your one thing of the week this week is to just consider how you learnt scales and how you teach them now. If both those things are the same, try something that's outside your normal teaching toolbox and just see how it goes. I hope you enjoyed this exploration of how we teach scales and that it gave you some food for thought. I'd love to hear how you got on with it. Do let me know in the comments and I'll see you back here next week. Vibrant Music Teaching membership costs less than the price of one lesson each month. That is totally worth it for all of the courses, games, resources, downloadables, printables that you can get access to as a member, as well as the fabulous community support you'll find inside. Go to vmt.ninja and become part of the revolution.